You are now listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you in part by... Valerie Jarrett's new book from Viking, Finding My Voice, is an inspiring account of one of the most visible and influential African-American women of our time. When Valerie Jarrett interviewed a promising young lawyer named Michelle in July 1991 for a job in Chicago city government, neither knew that it was the first step on a path that would end in the White House. Jarrett soon became Michelle and Barack Obama's trusted personal advisor and family confidant. Jarrett joined the White House team in January 20th, 2009, and departed with the first family on January 20th, 2017. And she was in the room, in the Oval Office, on Air Force One, and everywhere else when it all happened. Deemed the ultimate Obama insider by the New York Times, Valerie Jarrett now shares her journey at a historic moment in American history. From her work ensuring equality for women and advancing civil rights, to the real stories behind the Obama presidency. Jarrett relates her forthright, optimistic perspective on leadership and citizenship in the 21st century. Finding My Voice, available now. This is Riley Ritchie, a.k.a. Jacob Anderson. Aka Grey Worm from Game of Thrones, and you're listening to the Black Girl Nerds podcast. Um, my name is Tanahasi Coates. I write for the Atlantic, uh, and I am the writer on uh, Black Panther right now. And you are listening to the Black Girl Nerds podcast. This is Sanaya Sydney, and you're listening to the Black Girl Nerds podcast. Hi, I'm Sujata Day. I'm playing Sarah on Insecure. And you're listening to Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Hello, I'm Regina Hall, and you are listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Five, six, seven, eight. Holla, boys and girls, it's the BGN. Coming from the Marvel world to the DC friends. All the way from Hollywood to the PCN. She defends everyone from sleazy men. Born apologize for spitting Shonda Rhimes. The space that we make is never colonized. We're talking games and movies and actors. Thanks for tuning in to episode 162 of the Black Girl Nerds podcast. My name is Jamie and I am your host. This episode features interviews from actresses Gabrielle Union and Jessica Alba, who are both starring together in a project called LA's Finest. And in our second segment, features interviews from filmmaker Stefan Bristol and co-writer Frederica Bailey of the new Spike Lee sci-fi time travel adventure, See you yesterday. So sit back, relax, and enjoy episode 162 of the Black Girl Nerds podcast. Our first segment is hosted by Kat Combs, and our second segment is hosted by Lynette Nicholas. LA's Finest follows Sydney Sid Burnett, played by actress Gabrielle Union, who was last seen in Miami taking down a drug cartel. She now has left her complicated past behind to become an LAPD detective. Paired with her new partner, Nancy McKenna, played by actress Jessica Alba, a working mom with an equally complex past, 
Burnett is pushed to examine whether her unapologetic lifestyle might be masking a greater personal secret. These two women don't agree on much, but they find common ground when it comes to taking on the most dangerous criminals in Los Angeles. LA's Finest premieres May 13th on Spectrum On Demand. I'm sorry. <laughs> You know what was dope about uh, Bad Boys 2 is that she was undercover. Mm. So you saw her in um, in her job as, as where she's playing a character. Um, and in the few bits of time where she was just herself, she kind of needed to be saved by her brother and her lover. So it left a huge <laughs> space for us to create our own mythology that is sort of separate from the Bad Boys universe mm -hmm. for Sid. And we got to learn what, you know, where she came from, what what her fears and her desires and her foundation is, was, and, and where she's trying to go. Um, you know, it's kind of the, the joy and the curse of underdeveloped female characters and action um, franchises. So it allowed us to create this huge world. So I didn't, I wasn't exactly tied into anything, okay. really, because there wasn't as much to be tied into. Right. So without Marcus and, and Mike Lowry, I get to be Sid. And who the hell is Sid? Right. We got to define that, what that was for ourselves. Um, with, uh, with two chicks leading the charge, yes. you know, defining ourselves as characters and as businesswomen and as, as uh, creatives. Nice. And the two characters you both play are quite different. We have the family mom with the house kid husband. We have the single, I don't care kind of chick riding a motorcycle. What kind of, do you, of yourself do you bring to your characters? <laughs> A lot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think we both brought, um, you know, I think what we infuse most of all is we just wanted to make sure that these characters are people that you want to hang out with um, and that you want to be friends with. I think that was like the biggest, tonally, that was the biggest thing for me. Um, Nancy isn't a like seasoned mom. She is, this is her first year into being a stepmom to a teenager, mm -hmm. and so that's more like a friend, okay. you know, it's like a little bit different than I've been a mom for 10 years to like people, you know, who, who break my heart every single day. Um, I think it's a different relationship, mm -hmm. especially because this is like her first year kind of doing that, okay. um, and I think that's like, it's a scary place because like, she loves this kid, and, and there's so much, as you watch the show and you unpack the show, there's so much fulfillment that she gets from just having a strong family unit because that wasn't something that she ever had. Um, and so she puts a lot on this new relationship, um, and I think that's like fun to explore and to watch uh, as, as a viewer. Um, and what do you think about yours? Yeah, I mean, I kind of got to recall that, especially that period of time as a grown-ass woman between, um, you know, my divorce and being remarried. Mm -hmm. um, 
thoroughly enjoying everything that life had to offer <laughs> while still um, trying to kick ass in my job and trying to, 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 to show that I'm capable and deserving and, and also trying to find myself. Um, who, am, who am I if someone hasn't claimed me um, or chosen me? And Sid isn't interested in anyone choosing her. Actually, she's like, it's like the opposite. It's like, get out. Um, you have served your purpose. Get out. Um, to go cups. <laughs> yeah. So um, I kind of brought that sense of like wonder and joy at kind of being in my own space and exploring my identity and um, my journey. Like, what is motivating me? What is it that I actually want out of life? What are my freaking goals um, that you get after, you know, failed relationships? And you're not there yet in the show. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so like a lot of a lot of kind of who we are, who we've been at different points in our life kind of come in and out of the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd like to think, you know, Jess and I are pretty cool. Like, you know, I think I'd like to think that we bring, you know, we're cool chicks, you know. <laughs> People like to hang out with us, you know, we're pretty solid. We, we're in on the joke. We don't take ourselves too seriously. Yeah, we have a good time. Yeah. We like a bit of fashion. Mm-hmm. Like, I think, like, we kind of put that into the show. Um, yeah, in front of and behind the cameras. The Black Girl Nerds podcast will return in just a moment. Lively. Lively offers a range of bra styles for all different body types, available in 32A to 44 Triple D. Choose from bralettes, t-shirt bras, push-up bras, plunge bras, and no-wire bras. Find your new go-to pieces. Bra shopping goes from meh to oh yeah. Lively brings you a bra experience that leaves you feeling comfortable, confident, and part of a wider community of empowered women. Lively is where high style meets ultimate comfort. Soft fabrics, lounge-worthy fits, and clever details that support your life. Wear it all day because it's the most comfortable bra you'll ever wear. At Lively, it's always one price for all, any style, color, or size. And at Lively, they believe in charging one price for all women. And that is what I love about Lively, the one price for all women. As many of us more bustier women know, we tend to pay a little bit more for our bras than women that are smaller sizes. So I really like the fact that Lively does this. Also, when I tried Lively, it's very easy to navigate on the website. And I am someone who does not like wire bras. And whenever I go to the store to purchase a no-wire bra, there's not really a good selection. And it either comes in black or beige. And with Lively, you get such a large selection to choose from. So look no further, check out Lively. For a limited time, you can get $10 off your first order by visiting wherelively.com forward slash nerds and enter nerds at the checkout. It's only available in the United States. Now, again, for a limited time, you get $10 off your first order by visiting wherelively.com forward slash nerds and then enter nerds at the checkout. If you do that, you're going to get $10 off of your first order. That's wherelively.com, W-E-A-R-L-I-V-E-L-Y.com forward slash nerds. Enter nerds at the checkout for $10 off of your first order. I was just saying out, out there in the hallway, I was saying, you two seem like you just exude coolness. Like, it just seems that way. And I love it. 
Yeah, I think it's also just like having like some self-awareness, um, but doesn't lead to self-consciousness. It just leads to having um, an awareness that there's space and that, you know, sometimes you're, you can take up a bit of that space and sometimes you should sit back mm -hmm. and let someone else take up that space. So having like some of that self-awareness is good. And then being in on the joke because life is hard and, and sometimes circumstances can be intense and it, you need a good laugh, man. It's the best medicine. Yeah. And I can come to work and be like, I don't have it today. Yeah. You got it? Okay. Because yeah. I don't have it today. Yeah. You know? I'm yeah. not functioning on all cylinders. Yeah. Can you, you know. Not every day you're going like, to, like, you. yeah, you're not firing on all cylinders and it's fine. And I definitely don't have one-liners. And so Gab helps me with that every time. <laughs> every you single time. <laughs> Sure. And your, your chemistry on, on screen is, is great. And I, I was just wondering, watching, I don't really under, like know how long you guys have been partners on, on the... It's about six months. Six months, six months? Yeah. okay. Because you know about each other, but then you're still learning. You're yeah. still mastering. Exactly. Yeah. Which I kind of liked. I was like, okay, I'm, I'm learning with you. They're learning about each other. And then it gets even darker and better, <laughs> but then also more funny and intense like yeah. it's all it's like all everything is heightened yeah as you unpack the show and as the show goes on great so you guys are both eps on the show as well what's that been like juggling the acting the producing the home the babies <laughs> yeah what's that been like for you guys i think anyone who works and has any other life that they care about like some people have a startup that they're working on and then they have their day job and you're figuring out how much do you give to this versus that. Someone who has a relationship that they really care about but they also want to be very successful in their work life or school life or whatever it is they're doing over here. I think everyone is trying to figure out how to prioritize time and there's only, only so much you can do in one day and I think you just try and bite off what you can in that moment and you try to be present. But um, I think that's, that's a struggle for anyone who is more than one thing, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, no, I mean, for years I've been listening <clears throat> to my husband do interviews about all sorts of things and no one has ever asked him, how do you balance it all? Right. You know, um, the man got full custody of his kids, no one's ever asked, how do you balance it all? Mm -hmm. How do you keep all these you know, balls in the air? Because there's not an expectation for him to do that. There's an expectation for him to, kids. Yeah, to sort of, you know, that he got full custody of. You know, like, you know, parcel out, you know, some responsibility and, and, and lean on a village. Mm -hmm. um, that was the expectation. The expectation is as long as you bring home a check, we're not really going to hold your, your feet to the fire for any other area of your life. Um, and so I kind of took that off. I'm like, I'm not doing that. Right. Um, what I am going to embrace is um, I'm going to let myself off the hook. I'm going to do my best. Mm -hmm. I'm going to ask for help. Um, I'm going to lean on other people. I don't want to be... Um, the only, I, I don't want to be the, the boss chick. I want to be, you know, work with somebody who is equally yoked, who has an equally full life, who actually gets it. Mm -hmm. So um, I can ask for help. I can, I can, we can figure out who's going to play good cop, bad cop, um, you know, every day. And, and when, you know, my surrogate's water broke and my, I panicked and my priority was because, you know, we were, it was, I was about to go back to work um, when her water broke. I had not taken home my work wig, um, so I had my, my, my wig braids on, and 
the only call, like, like, you know, I called Larry, my hairstylist, to bring me a wig, and then I left for the mm -hmm. hospital. And I was like, I called Jessica, I'm like, I didn't bring a car seat, I didn't bring diapers, I didn't bring formula, I didn't, I didn't bring the bag. <laughs> Just handled it. Nice. And, you know, and then our production kicked right into the maternity schedule that we had planned out, you know, five months prior. And, you know, a lot of the responsibility fell on Jess. And she was like, I got you. Hold it down. Enjoy your baby. You know, they gave me an extra week of maternity leave to, you know, to bond. And um, she, you know, she held my hand literally, figuratively, spiritually, mentally, um, and allowed me that breath to actually be present with my baby and my husband took paternity leave and we were able to be a family where I didn't have to worry about those particular, keeping those particular balls in the air. Right. Um, but that's what it's like and that's what it should be like because um, we're all working together, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Um, whether you work, you're the only chick in an office full of men or you work in an office full of women or you work by yourself, um, you should be able to feel like I don't have it today. And that's got to be okay. Give me a second to, to regroup, pull it together. Um, but I'm not hitting that out of the park today. Mm -hmm. And that's got to be okay. And if I'm surrounded by motherfuckers who don't understand that, um, I'm in the wrong space. And I got to let you go. Because I, I got to maintain my peace, my joy, my grace. And that doesn't always mean pretending to be perfect mm -hmm. or pretending to have all the answers. Sometimes you go get your wig and you let your... You let your partner, you know, help you out. I love it. Thank you. Sure, yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> in terms, I wanted to ask about the, I heard the writing room, you guys had to play in that into kind of female writers being incorporated in the room as well. So can you talk a little bit about that? I think it was less about like, oh, we need to make sure we only hire women. It's almost like the blind uh, submission of, how about we just get a bunch of young up-and-comer cool writers period and then when we sifted through and the writers sifted through them they just most they were mostly women and in fact in most cases all women um, and when you look at it blindly um, whereas in I think a lot of writing rooms circumstances they take people who have already had opportunities and mm -hmm. have already been in writing rooms in other places where that lens is I only want to give people opportunities mm -hmm. that look like me and often the people that look like them are white dudes yep. and so we were like who cares about that I don't care about people who've done it before let's just see the coolest people that can get the tone and the voice of the show. Mm -hmm. And every time it was a woman and it just happened to be. And so it was about best talent mm -hmm. for the show um, and, uh, and making sure that you saw diversity and not just people who had already had opportunities. And so, yeah. When you, when you actually level the playing field and give everybody a, a shot, mm -hmm. You may or may not. I'm not surprised. I don't think Jess was surprised. I wasn't surprised. Uh, Pam Vesey wasn't surprised. The Brandons weren't surprised. Uh, Anton wasn't surprised <laughs> that the the best people for the show um, can maybe come in packages that you aren't used to seeing mm -hmm. because perhaps maybe the playing field has never been level. Mm -hmm. um, so you know. So where they all of our writers, like Gab said, may have been the one token person in, in that writing room. room. Yeah. In our room, we didn't have an idea or a preconceived notion of what it should look like. We were just like, let's just get the best. 
and they were like, every time it was a woman, every time it was a woman, you know? Because, I mean, it, there was, you know, we should have a mandate. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm all about it if you, if you don't really even know how to begin to um, see or create a level playing field, because a lot of people are like, this is equality. It's like, no, ma'am, <laughs> sir, no, it's not. Um, so if that is a, a unique um, uh, task for you, um, you might need a mandate. Right. Um, but for our creatives and our production and for Jess and I, um, when, when you go for the best, um, for us, it actually looked like the global community that we were trying to reach. Yeah. Um, it, there were all different kinds of shades of, we had Chinese, we had African American. Everyone was like, I've never Latino. been on a set with another Thai person. <laughs> I've never been on a set with another yeah, Native true. American. And it was like, everyone was like, or Middle it was like Eastern, that, like the or, scene in like Color yeah. Purple. Was like, <laughs> and it was like, this is, this is weird. I mean, it's, it's not, it's weird. It's weird if it's never been normal for you. And any job I have any kind of power on, mm -hmm. it is standard. Um, but I know that it's probably weird or unique for others. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm like, catch up, water's warm. Um, there's enough for all of us. Let's not function from this place of scarcity where there can only be one, right. where there can only be a couple. Mm -hmm. um, we shouldn't have people, you know, like, oh my God. <laughs> um, you know, because you're, you're, you're not, you're not the, the one, right. um, because you can absolutely easily create productions that represent the global community that we are desperately trying to reach. It is not hard. If you find it hard, it's because you're making it hard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's true. Amen. And there, ladies. <laughs> Thank you Thank very you. much. It was a pleasure. Thank you for being a great follower. No, and putting really, me on yes. to books and shows and yes. all sorts of things. Yes. And I appreciate you guys. Thank you. Thank you. All of very your recommendations. Much. Thank you. Thank you. From director Stefan Bristol and producer Spike Lee comes See You Yesterday, a sci fi adventure grounded in familial love, cultural divides, and the universal urge to change the wrongs of the past. The following segment features director Stefan Bristol and co-writer Frederica Bailey. Hi, I'm Lynette Nicholas with Black O' Nerds here with Stefan, the director of See You Yesterday. Yeah. First of all, I have to tell you I love this film. I love the science elements. I love that it pays homage to some historical sci-fi authors. Yeah. And I just love the hybrid identities that are present. So in the first scene, it starts out paying homage to Octavia Butler Absolutely. and her book, Kindred. What sci-fi films and books have you, have influenced your work? Uh, it's mostly films, honestly, because uh, the one I grew up, it was like Blade, uh, who else? Um, uh, Static Shock. Yeah. Um, and, and and just sci-fi in general, not not just you know black sci-fi. Honestly, it's just sci-fi yeah. in general. Um, but for regardless of black sci-fi, you know, Blade and, and, and Static Shock stood out to me. But in the recent years, it's been Attack the Block, um, and it's been slight. Very nice, very nice. And um, Octavia Butler, she's one of my favorite authors, um, and she's mm. also been revolutionary in changing perceptions of black contributions to you know technological advancements in the sci-fi. Yes. Um, genre so i thought that, that was interesting that you showcased that book in the first scene so yeah to be on um it's it's crazy but when i when i was starting to write the film 
a very good friend of mine uh, gave me the book to read so I, it could help me influence the writing. Yeah. I never heard of Tavia Butler since yeah. I was, till I was 25, to All be right. honest with you. It was, it was eye-opening. I said, wow, who is this author? And, and, and she has other books, you know, Wild Seed, and, you know, I want to pick that up. Um, and I, I wrote that in, my, in the script in another scene. But once we got Michael J. Fox again, um, because he he was he fell sick during a first initial shoot, yeah. So when we had and the scene that I had the book originally in is cut out, yeah. And I decided to see you know what, um, since Michael J. Fox is coming back, he's a teacher, he's gonna be at the desk just reading something, yeah. Might as well be that book. Nice, nice. Now, do you think that people disassociate science and technological advancements from the black identity? No. Okay. I, I I never felt that way, okay. uh, and we and the reason why I pushed it so much, we need more. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we have we have a lot a great amount of um, people, black people that's in STEM. Um, you know, you got Lonnie Johnson who did the Super Soaker. Um, you know, of course, Minus Jim Walker, great entrepreneur. Um, let me take out my cell phone. I had a list <laughs> of gonna, folks. I'm sorry, I, I had was, to. I was going to ask you the correlation between Claudette's name mm -hmm. and her initials being C.J. Walker right. and the trailblazing, you know, businesswoman, yes. Madam C.J. Walker. Yes. I, that, the reason why I did that is, is because, like, when, when young people watch the film and, and their parents recognize that name, the parents can tell those kids, um, do, did you know who Madam C.J. Walker is? And they would say, I don't know. Who, who is she? And not only they would research her... But they'll also reach out other prominent African American women, African American women and men in the STEM field. Yeah, I love the teaching element in there. Um, I noticed, and I may be projecting, so please help me out. Yeah. I noticed that in every scene, there, in my opinion, was um, a hybrid, meaning that there were multiple identities or multiple perceptions of uh, blackness. And culture as well as science even down to the shirts they were wearing and every scene <laughs> that I was checking it out every scene that Claudette and Sebastian were in together he mm. either had on a signed shirt while she had an African print or she had on an African print and he had on a t-shirt that had some sort of scientific method on it and yes. I wanted to know I put a note in the review that I'm writing that um, it's okay for children to have science and higher education as the first option as opposed to say sports and you know um, a stereotypical you know dream and so I wanted you to speak to um, how deliberate you were about infusing culture yeah. and cultural identity with science yes. and for the youth. I you hit the nail in the coffin there I, you know, I grew up in, in the hood I grew up in Brooklyn Coney Island and uh, you know I've seen so many kids just want to be different like kids into anime kids into you know um science you know there's just there's, there's there's other kids besides you know just just you know hip just rappers or musicians and, and ball players and and, and I want to I purposely hired uh um Charlize Antoinette Jones who's my my um my costume designer to really emulate that style like what what does what does African or 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 black um, science science look like in 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 wardrobe? And she yeah. did it. She yeah. killed it. I saw it. Um, can you? What would you like for students? Mm -hmm. Unless you were speaking on a little bit, and young black folk to take away from this film and in terms of academics. Calvin says a quote to his sister when she breaks down how to pronounce misogyny. 
Um, and he says, I hate it when you smart, man. It's scary, but you inspire me. And, mm -hmm. and it's scary, but you inspire me. What would you say to people <coughs> who are afraid, maybe, or young folks who are afraid to embrace the greater work as opposed to what they're expected to do, quote unquote? We, there is no definition of what being black is. When I growing up, um, when I talked proper English, mm -hmm. I was called white, talking white. Yeah. And I think that's very ignorant of us to think that speaking proper English or being very knowledgeable um, is, is correlates to just being white. And it should be normal. Doesn't matter if you Latino, Native American, Asian, purple, green, having a, having a, a, a really strong education background. Um, it's it should be just normal and what else I just got from that constructs are dangerous and that's mm -hmm. one thing I was thinking about within the film I was yeah. thinking about how you know I was just so impressed to see them one note I made about Claudette was that she was not moved by what was happening with her peers she didn't care who had a crush on her she didn't care about what her friends were doing she was so focused and at yeah. such a high higher level of thinking that she wasn't moved you know yeah. and the relationship between her and Sebastian, I thought was beautiful and that the connection was bigger than just, because I think they had crushes on each other. I wasn't quite mm -hmm. sure. Um, but I love when they said to one another, she said to him, I love you, black man. And he, and then he says to her, I love you too, black woman. Mm -hmm. Can you speak to how important it is for, for people of color to affirm one another and just yeah. see one another? No, me, um... Or just the inspiration behind that scene? No, especially behind that scene is just I've seen, unfortunately, you know, I've seen a lot of separation between young, young black men and young black girls, um, young black boys and girls from each other. And it, it was it's very daunting to me. So I want to make sure that I, I have that in the film to reaffirm um, that we're there's still struggle in, in our communities and in, in our history that we still need to learn. Um, and the best way for us to to uh, get through it is to love one another. The, the, the idea of black love is dwindling, I feel. And having those words on screen, it, it hopefully it vibrates some kind of frequency in, in, for black people and for the black audience. Very nice, very nice. There's another quote. Everything great has the capacity to be good and bad. Can you speak mm -hmm. to the scene where, well, there's two things. Teacher Lockhart asks Claudette, mm -hmm. If you had the power, what would you do with that kind of power? In the context mm -hmm. of her wanting to not manipulate time, but time travel, right? Yeah. Um, can you speak to the notion of um, understanding what to do with your platform or your knowledge mm -hmm. or your intellect? Because a lot of people want position. They want a platform. But can you speak to having an awareness of what to do when you get a breakthrough or a platform? Or even in the context of the film? Man, I, I, you know, wow, I'm still trying to figure that one out. <laughs> that's, that's some great questions. Um, I, I, for Claudette, I think it, you know, it's reflecting on her. Like, you, you, you might have talent, but you always have to be prepared. Yes. You know what I'm saying? You, you can't when, when, um, when, when you're prepared meets, you know, meets opportunity equals success. But what, what does success means to you? Yeah. Um. And sometimes it, you know, I I don't know. That, that's a that's a good question. I th I just think that um. You see it backfire. She yeah. She has the potential. She has the intellect. Yeah. She gets the breakthrough. Yeah. But then there are consequences too. Sometimes yes. that you can't premeditate. 
And we yeah. see that things don't go the way she plans all the time. Yeah. And sometimes when I think about science, this is my opinion. I want to hear your opinion about yes. it. I think that sometimes science tries to act as a God in a, in a way. And if there's no balance in that, if you're trying to manip manipulate time and mm -hmm. you're trying to manipulate circumstances, does it affect the purpose behind the thing? Wow, no, I don't think so. It, it, it because there's there's maybe because I'm faith based. There's everything um, everything happens for a reason, and yeah. you can't there's there there is a God. If 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 you believe in it, I'm not sure. I believe in it. If, if there's if there's a God, you have to you have to listen, and you can't you you know. You got you got to trust um, that things happen for a reason, and you learn from from them. I saw on. that. I saw that in Calvin, and the mm. choice he made in that very moment to take the bullet for Sebastian. I think he understood that there was a greater purpose, and that this yeah. younger brother, um, yeah. and all his potential, absolutely. to live. Yeah. Absolutely, and I think that I'm not saying that you know. Um, us black people need to make that kind of sacrifices in our life to give your give your life to someone else, but we have to be more aware of how brilliant our young people are around us, yeah. and, and 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 be open to what other black people are doing with their lives. Like you know, the, once again, he's he's a brilliant kid, and unfortunately, it's that moment. I, that's in my interpretation of that scene. That it's that moment that he realized this is that only this is a brilliant kid. And I've saved his life, but he, you know, there's something in this kid that can change the world. And I That's want right. to, because there's a lot of, there's a lot of kids in the hood that are able to change the world. And we're not recognizing that. Very nice. Thank you so much for your time today. Man, it's some hard fucking questions. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I delight in bringing um, challenging questions because that's yeah, how we course. all Of course. Yes. Absol absolutely. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Wow. First of all. How did you approach the script in the context of ed uh, education and cultural identity? Mm. Well, I feel like um, since Stefan and I first started talking about uh, the short, it was always really important that we were showing kids from our community um, involved in STEM, involved in science and technology and math, doing the things that you normally don't see our youth doing, that yeah. we showed that aspect of them and we're able to kind of put that on the screen and give a visual to that type of uh, to that type of path, just to show just to show that outside of the normal entertainment and sports, which is fine, but you also have these other options that you can also pursue. So that was really important, and also just to make it authentic to show the community, to show Brooklyn, to show the people, the faces that inhabit the community, and to kind of bring that all to life. Did you speak with <clears throat> any science educators, teachers, and people in the educational field? Yeah, we did a lot of research. I know Stefan spoke with a good deal of people. Um, we spent some time talking with, with some youth and trying to get input, especially as far as making it authentic, as far as you know their dialogue and things like that. And then we also did a lot of research on our own as far as time travel and yeah. you know obviously that's not um, an actuality at the moment but there's a lot of science that has been developed and research that has been done about the possibility of those type of, th type of things and how those things possibly could occur so there was a lot of research that Stefan and I did on our own to make sure that we had some backing as we tried to create that whole scientific world of time travel. Okay, I noticed that you all were very deliberate about delineating culture Mm -hmm. ethnic culture and the identities of Sebastian, Claudette, and even the people who were the Greek chorus coming in and out of the scenes, like mm -hmm. the Jamaican Rasta. Mm -hmm. um, what was the significance between um, 
what was the significance of Guyana and the rich Caribbean culture mm -hmm. within the script? Well, Stefan is uh, Guyanese. His, oh. He's got a Guyanese heritage. Okay. Um, and that was really important to him and us to kind of show that culture and that heritage on the screen. One, because you, you don't see it that often. Um, it's something that, you know, obviously, especially in the Brooklyn community, that is very vibrant, but it's just not something that's often seen on the screen. So it's really important to kind of make this a, a film that's like for us, by us, about our community. So that was one of the things that was really um, something that we were really adamant about doing. Okay. You know, oftentimes when people do, and this is a generalization, of course, when people do films about police brutality, mm -hmm. it's centered on the crime and it's centered on the violence against those that are disenfranchised. How did you... How did you provide that balance? Because it's very clear mm -hmm. that you were deliberate about focusing on the education element and presenting positive images in association with higher learning and science. Mm -hmm. How did you draw a balance between saying, okay, this is what's still happening in our communities, but here's this beautiful thing that's happening in our communities too. Mm -hmm. These black mm -hmm. kids are geniuses, they're prodigies. Mm -hmm. How did you draw that, that balance as a writer? Like, what was, what was your approach? Well, I think... Um I feel like one of the unique things about the film is that it's sort of like a, a genre blender. Yeah. Um, and so Stefan and I both love sci-fi, we both love action adventure, and I think the thing that we really wanted to accomplish was to talk about these social issues that are also important to us, but in the genres that we love to write and work in. Yeah. And so it was about kind of um, blending the two together and knowing that since we wanted to talk about police brutality but we also wanted to show our community and our kids in a light in which they're not often seen yeah we wanted to make sure that these characters stood out in a way that we don't normally see them so we wanted to make sure that we showed that they go to this great school that they have a passion and love for science for inventions that this is something that you know is in them as part of who they are and yet they're still very much um, a part of their culture, they're still, you know, very much kids, they're still very much of their community, and yet they still, you know, do these type of things. So I think our way to kind of speak on the social issues of police brutality was to kind of come through through this sci-fi action-adventure way that is kind of not often seen. Yeah, that was refreshing because, I, you know, when this film was over, despite the death, Mm -hmm. And despite this, you know, the mistaken identity yeah. in these different things, um, you still left the, fi the film with an uplifting feeling, in inspired. And I think that's oftentimes what's missing from films dealing with um, mm -hmm. police brutality against blacks. And so it was very clear. And was that your end game? Was that the goal for you, for people to leave feeling inspired? Because oftentimes, um, you know, I can say as a black woman, mm -hmm. I love, you know, seeing us tell these stories, right? Right. But sometimes yeah. it's tiresome, it's draining, it's heavy. Mm -hmm. But with this film in particular, I felt inspired. I was like, oh my God. Mm -hmm. And so the blurb that I gave about the film was from an educational context. Mm -hmm. um, what's a takeaway that you would want students mm -hmm. as well as other communities to take away from this film? Well, one of the biggest things for me is that um, it's kind of twofold. I want young people that are already in science and math and already because we have young people in our communities that are already doing these things but we don't ever really shine a light on them they don't get the the shine that they should get so i would like them to be able to see this film and say hey that's me that's what that's what i do at school that's what me and my friends are into and then on the other hand i want young people that maybe aren't thinking about that as an option or a pathway or just aren't considering that that's something that they can do to be inspired and say oh well if they're doing that 
maybe that's something that I could do. Maybe that's maybe I should try it. Maybe I'll have an interest in that. Maybe that's something that I could, you know, really be good at. So I think twofold to have people see themselves reflected and then to inspire people to possibly try it. Yeah. And see if that's something, you know, you never know until you try, until you are exposed. And then how can you be if you don't actually see what you can be? So I think it's important to see those type of things on the screen. Great, great. When you were crafting the characters of Mm -hmm. Claudette Mm -hmm. and um, Sebastian, did you already have them in mind or did they come to you? Like, how how did Claudette and Sebastian come to you? And there's one question in addition to this, a part Mm -hmm. two. I want to ask something very specific about Claudette, Mm -hmm. but how did they come to you first? So it's very... so part of that is, is um, the answer to that is how I ended up collaborating with Stefan. Okay. So Stefan worked on, had to do a short for his thesis at NYU. Okay. So Stefan had created these characters and created the story. Okay. And then he, at some point, realized that he needed help to kind of bring it together, to help with the writing, to, to execute it. And so he reached out to my department chair, because I'm in the dramatic writing department, which is separate from his department. Okay. And then we were put together in that way. So Stefan had kind of come up with the characters and come up with the, the concept. And then I came in and we kind of really just flushed them out, flushed the characters out, flushed yeah. the concept out, flushed how we balance the tone, like you're talking yeah. about the seriousness of police brutality, but also... The, the other, you know, the, that they're kids, that they're, they're doing sci-fi and action adventure and STEM and how we kind of blended those things together. Very nice, very nice. One thing I noticed about Claudette in particular is that while she's brilliant, mm-hmm. while she's beautiful, mm-hmm. and while she's not necessarily even affected by peer pressure for someone in high school, yeah, that's a yeah, big feat, yeah. um, yet she's angry. And mm-hmm. not in the stereotypical sense of the word of being the angry black girl, but maybe angry because of being misunderstood. Mm-hmm. What's, mm-hmm. What was the, because I wasn't clear in the film, why she had such a temper. Mm-hmm. Was it because, can you tell me why she had such a temper? I know why oftentimes in my own youth as an intelligent young black woman, I was angry mm-hmm. because I was misunderstood. Mm-hmm. But what was the context behind Claudette? Yeah, I think it's a combination of her feeling misunderstood. I think it's a combination of her also um, still uh, dealing with the the death of her father. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Yeah. I think some people handle grief and they deal with things in a different way. And for her, I think it's kind of come out through that anger mm-hmm. um, or through that you know being kind of upset. And I also think that. Also, Claudette represents, in some ways, um, the issue of police brutality. Um, the way that she is um, consistently going and pushing and, and brazen, and you know, it's 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 the issue that needs to keep being at the forefront. That you know, she's unapologetic about it, and in some ways, she also is part of representing that issue of just you know the anger that as a community that we have about this issue. Um, so in some ways, I think the anger is the bigger representation of all of us. Yeah. And then as a character and as an individual, I think she's also dealing with the, the loss of her dad and then also being misunderstood, misunderstood at school. We see in the beginning that she has a, um, a run-in with, with an ex. And I think all those things are kind of what contributes to that fire that she has. You know? Yeah. I thought that was interesting, too. The fact that she's very intelligent, but the young man who she was dating before... Um, it's not quite on her level. No. And that made me think about so many things. Isn't specifically, so true, though? Yeah, well, when you're intelligent, I mean, the, when you're intelligent, beautiful, and of color. I was speaking with Sanaa at another junket, and she was mm-hmm. talking about how most um, middle-class or intelligent black women, the dating pool is so, mm-hmm. so, so much smaller. Yeah, yeah. And um, 
I love what her brother said. It's like, you're bigger than that. Yeah. You're bigger than yeah, that. But, your level. but I also mm-hmm. found that interesting because that's another sub-narrative that's happening in our communities. You'll have all mm-hmm. these brilliant women with degrees and who are smart, mm-hmm. but... Yeah. The, so I, I, I was like, okay, he, what, what's going to happen with this? I'm glad it mm-hmm. worked out the way it did, and she evolved. Right, um, right. Another thing I noticed was that... Um, I felt like, and I'm glad it didn't ascribe to this wholeheartedly, another black woman saving the day. Mm-hmm. And at the end, and even though it didn't work out the way she had planned, because of right. course there's that whole idea of you can't necessarily control exactly. life. Yes. Or God's still in control. Um, control. Yeah. But she was willing to go mm-hmm. alone if she had to. Mm-hmm. And it made me think about historically what women in our communities have always had to do. Mm-hmm. Can you speak to that? Was that deliberate or is that just me? Uh, projecting no well I think I mean I think it's great because it's it's you I mean, that's part of what I love about the ending also I love that you said that you thought it was um positive yeah. and upbeat because I feel like there's some people that are like oh you know it, it all depends on what you're bringing to the film of what you're going to get out of it and yeah. what you're going to project into it so I think um yeah I mean that is the representation of like she's going it alone and like a lot of women do but then also, I think going back to her representing the issue of the community and police brutality, it's also like not giving up. You got to keep going. You got to keep trying. Despite getting the results, we have to keep tackling this issue. And her kind of going back is to say that this is something that we're going to keep trying to get at and kind of find a solution to. So. Very nice. It was a pleasure talking to you, you today. You as well. Thank you so much for having me. Thank, Thank you, you for chatting with us. For sure. Thank you so much. The Black Girl Nerds podcast is produced by Jamie Brodnax. The opening theme song to our show is written and performed by Samus. Various instrumentals are performed by Samus, Sky Blue, and Shubzilla. You can find various episodes of the Black Girl Nerds podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Audioboom, Google Play Music, and Spotify. Spotify.